0: You've got to remember Tony Abbott has never advocated a yes case in his in his life. He built he built his political career on saying no to things, right? Ripping stuff down is what he does best.
1: Is it on? Look, I'm going to
2: uh, shirt front, Mr Putin.
3: I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on?
2: Uh,
0: you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General.
3: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the second season of BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast, Is It On? My name is Alice Workman and this week I'm in Canberra in Parliament House with Mark DiStefano and Lane Sancti. Hello. (laughs) Now, Mark, serious question. Yes. When was the last time that you bought stamps?
4: Ooh, good question. Stamps, stamps. I think the last time I bought stamps was to subscribe to Australian Soccer Magazine back in the 90s, 12 issues for $36.
3: Oh, bargain.
4: And I think, the, what was a stamp back then? I Probably like 90 cents a stamp. Or are they cheaper than that?
3: I think that would cheap. I
4: can't I can't get my head around inflation when it comes to these sort of things. Like oh. it could have been 2 cents and I would have no idea.
3: Man, we have a huge episode it's this week. It's a little week. bit too big. There's um, so much I going on. I think it is. Uh, so I'm I sat down with the minister in charge of the postal survey as I think we're now calling we're it. We're calling it a survey. Yeah, the, the ABS survey. is calling it a survey. Um, West Australian Senator Matthias Cormann. So he is the finance minister, but he's also the acting special minister of state, while Senator Scott Ryan is away on sick leave. Also, uh, Lane sat down with Andrew Lamming, who is a Liberal MP from Queensland. He runs a yearly postal survey in his electorate.
4: So he runs little plebiscites all he the does, time.
3: And he says that if any plebiscite passes, and politicians have to pass a legislation to legalise same-sex marriage in Parliament, his vote will be completely based on what his electorate says.
4: And I believe the senator from Tasmania, Jackie Lambie, said the similar thing today, Today,
3: yesterday, the day before.
4: Who knows? But I do know that Jackie Lambie said she will vote uh, according to what Tasmania votes. Did Eric Betts say the same thing? I'm getting a thumbs up from Lane Saintey.
5: Erica Bett said that he his vote will be guided by the people of Tasmania. So I, I did actually message to to clarify whether that definitely meant that if they voted yes, he would too. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't get a response. So guidance <laughs> is the is the wording that we have at this time.
4: And I have a very special binge juice uh, guest as well, Alice. So yeah. it's a three three guests this week. Uh, it's one of Australia's best political reporters. His name is Phil Kuri. You probably do know him if you follow. He works um, for
3: the Australian Financial. He
4: does, and he's going to Twitter
3: is dead. <laughs> does he believe that? <laughs> yeah, I never knew that. He announced it in the corridors. Like Twitter says, is dead. <laughs> Twitter. (laughs)
4: um well i speak to phil coory about he's got a history lesson about the 1999 republic vote and what we can learn about the upcoming postal plebiscite from that vote okay well we've got a
3: lot to get through so let's crack into this week's fast five and surprise surprise number one is drumroll please same sex marriage lane give us a quick rundown of the history of how we got to where we are today
5: okay plebiscite history so what you need to know is that in 2004 then liberal prime minister john howard with labor support changed the australian marriage act to add in the words man and woman to the definition of marriage and then without a plebiscite without a plebiscite Fast forward all the way to 2015, and under former Prime Minister Tony Abbott, the Liberal Party, the coalition actually, announced their new policy of having a national vote on marriage in response to really um, a heightened debate on same-sex marriage at the time. Uh, The current Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, took that position to the last election and they tried to get it up in in Parliament last year to have this national vote on marriage, but the Senate said, no, we don't need to have a national vote on marriage. You should just legalise it in the Parliament. Mm Cut to last month when five MPs from the the government came out calling for a free vote on same-sex marriage in the parliament and a former guest of the podcast, Dean Smith, released a private member's bill on the weekend. And so all that resulted in an emergency Liberal Party room meeting on Monday called by the Prime Minister. At that meeting, they decided to put this uh, national vote, the compulsory plebiscite, to the Senate again, which they did, and that was voted down on Wednesday. So now, instead, the government is going to hold a $122 million non-compulsory postal survey run by the Australian Bureau of Statistics.
3: Yes, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the people who are responsible for last year's epic census fail are going to run it, not the Australian Electoral Commission. And the official title of this survey is the Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey.
5: That is correct. <laughs> the AMLPS. It's catching on. <laughs> it's catchy. On.
3: It is catchy. So, All right, so, what are the key dates?
5: So, the ABS has, um, and Finance Minister Matthias Cormann have given us this timeline. You have to enroll or update your address by August 24th.
3: Okay, everyone, stop listening to this podcast go to the AEC's website, update your enrolment details online, or if you're not registered, register to vote. I'm serious. Press pause. You can listen to us later. You need to do this now. People, the 24th of August, it is soon.
5: We matter much less than enrolling to vote.
3: Yes, okay democracy is much more important than this podcast (laughs) lane keep going
5: direct democracy (laughs) so other dates we have ballots will be posted from september twelfth. so expect to find something in your mailbox around then then everyone will have until november 7 to send in the votes and then the result will be announced on november fifteenth.
3: yeah and there's a lot we don't know about how this survey is going to work but there are a few key things i think we need to point out number one The postal plebiscite is not compulsory, unlike Australian elections and referendums, which are. Number two, the result is not binding, which means if the Australian public return a yes vote, there is no guarantee that politicians in Parliament will actually pass a bill to legalise same-sex marriage. The Prime Minister has said that if a yes vote is returned, they will let the Liberal and National MPs vote with their conscience on whether or not to legalise same-sex marriage. Number three, The government won't let the Australian public actually see the law change before the vote is held. Now, this is problematic because there's a huge disagreement within the government and parliament at large about how the Marriage Act should be changed, especially over who would have exemptions from existing anti-discrimination laws and on what basis. So this is basically about giving churches the right to refuse to marry same-sex couples, or as one Liberal MP said this week, taxi drivers the right to refuse to take people to gay weddings? Is this... Is yeah. This,
5: is it? Bel- believe it or not, the, the taxi driver question has actually been <laughs> floated in the past and, and debated in earnest by people from the, the Catholic and the Anglican Church. And so, and it's and a, you a know, thing. People
3: talk about bakers and event planners being able to do that um, because under Australian law, you can't discriminate against people. So there could be a clause in this bill that lets people discriminate. So, But you won't get to see it before you vote, just to let you know. Number four, the government says they won't fund the yes and no campaigns as they have in referendums in the past. But politicians can use their 160K parliamentary budget, so a budget for communications and printing and things, to print things and send them out to their electorate. So effectively, the taxpayers are funding politicians to campaign. Number five, snail mail. Boomers, please, (laughs) come on, what's going on? Also, people living overseas. humble brag, I was in Italy last month. I sent some postcards, they haven't arrived yet. I'm going to ask Matthias Gorman about that a bit later. Um, But also, uh, Labor Indigenous Senator Malandiri McCarthy said that Indigenous communities in the Northern Territory would be discriminated against by by the plebiscite because a lot of them don't have a fixed mailing address. But Lane, this whole debate could be moot because there are two groups that have filed high court challenges against this postal survey.
5: That is right. So there are two legal challenges that have been filed to try and bring down the postal survey before it even begins. Bring it down! I know the the first was announced on Wednesday and that group is independent MP Andrew Wilkie, Shelley Argent from PFLAG and Felicity Marlowe from Rainbow Families. And the other challenge has been filed by Australian Marriage Equality and also um, by Senator Janet Rice. And that's been filed by the Human Rights Law Centre on behalf of those two people. So what's going on here is that the government says it's very confident that it has the legal right to spend $122 million of taxpayer money without passing legislation through the parliament. But what's going on with the legal challenges is that they're going to argue that the use of funds is actually not constitutional and um my understanding is also that one of the legal challenges is going to argue that the australian bureau of statistics doesn't have the authority to collect the kind of data that the government has asked it to um so we don't have a lot more information about those court challenges at this point so stay tuned
3: labor have come out today and said that they are uh, the time for they, like they don't support the fact that it's happening but the time for kind of whinging about it is over well, i don't i don't think it is um And that they are going to, he's going to support publicly on a yes campaign. The Prime Minister says he is not going to get involved with either side, but he will vote yes. Um, The Greens have not decided what they're doing, but they potentially could boycott it. Is anyone else calling for a reminder? We're in Parliament House, so the bells are going to ring from time to time. Um, Is anyone else boycotting the vote?
5: There has been a lot of discussion today within the LGBT community about boycotts. Yeah. I think it's very unlikely that there will be a large-scale organised boycott, um, but I do think some individuals will boycott. And there are kind of two grounds on which people are saying this. Some are boycotting on on personal principle. Um, they're saying, I oppose uh, the the idea of voting on my rights and have other people voting on my rights, and I just want nothing to do with this whole ridiculous affair. Um, The second kind of basis on which people are talking about boycotting is a strategic boycott, um, which would entail a a very large group of people getting lobby groups and and advocates and stuff behind them in an attempt to to strip numbers from the vote and actually delegitimize it. I predict that Labor coming out so strongly today in favour of the yes vote will mean that a strategic uh, organised boycott will just not happen. Mm. But I think we, we should definitely expect individuals from the LGBT community to, to boycott on a matter of conscience.
3: Or send their votes back with glitter in the envelope. Uh, thank that. you for that excellent update, Lane. No worries. Sorry, Mark, this is turning into a bit of the slow five today. It's not so fast.
4: Yeah, but it's really detailed. It's a detailed five. <laughs> I think it's important. What's number two, though?
3: (laughs) Number two is about the campaign. So the campaign has kicked off. So wait,
4: number one was about (laughs) the plebiscite. Number two is about the plebiscite, but this is about the campaign. Yeah, this
3: is about the campaign. So um, there are still so many things we don't know about this postal survey. Uh, But the yes and no campaigns have already begun. Former PM Tony Abbott suggested people uh, should vote no because it's about freedom of speech. He said if you don't like same-sex marriage, vote no. If you are worried about freedom of speech and Freedom of religion, vote no. And if you don't like political correctness, vote no. Because this is the best way to stop it in its tracks. Then on two GB on Wednesday afternoon, he encouraged people to vote no if they don't like being pushed around by lobby groups. And he said, "Politically correct activists are engaged in a quote war on our way of life." Former Liberal MP Bronwyn Bishop, who you might remember from the Gate scandal, of course. is running the slippery slope argument. She's saying that same-sex, she's conflating same-sex marriage with bestiality. She told Sky News, you've got Professor Peter Slinger AC who believes that If there is sex between humans and animals, that's fine, so long as they're both satisfied. (laughs) Liberal Assistant Minister for Immigration and Border Protection, Alex Hawke, expressed concern that people may be sued for expressing their religious freedom. And openly gay monarchist David Flint gave an extreme example to 2GB Radio. He said that if we legalise same-sex marriage, what's stopping people from changing their genders and going and raping women in bathrooms. So, Mark, the, the Prime Minister and uh, Matthias Coleman have said that uh, they trust that the Australian public will have a respectful debate mm. during this survey campaign, but uh, I don't uh, know uh, if...
4: Uh, it's been would... a, it's been great. The first couple of days have been, it's been bloody great. great. <laughs> I tell you what, if you're gay and you you live in Australia, you're, you're going to have a good couple of weeks.
3: Yeah. Months. <laughs> months. Okay, what's number good three? Good couple of
4: months. Number three is the citizenship mess, and it kind of feels as though that... It's been all about marriage equality and power price summits and all that sort of stuff down here in Canberra, but um, we actually, this week, helped get One Nation Malcolm Roberts referred to the High Court. So, let me explain really briefly. A few weeks back, someone told me that Malcolm Roberts probably held UK citizenship because he was born in India in the 50s. So, we asked him and he fobbed us. Then the Australian newspaper, a couple of days later, said he was on a list of overseas British nationals a few days after that. I found uh, Ancestry Records online which suggested that Roberts travelled as a British citizen back when he was a little bub. There was then this huge faffing about over the ensuing days and and Roberts and his spokesperson were coming out and saying weird stuff like he was choosing to believe that he wasn't British. Anyway, this week we published, BuzzFeed News, we published the official document that Malcolm Roberts signed in 1974 when he was a 19-year-old man. On it, Roberts listed his citizenship as British, UK and Colonies. Anyway, that poked a big fat hole in his story that he's been running, that he never held British citizenship. So the Senate got the numbers together to refer him to the high court. Pauline Hanson stepped in and was like, whoa, 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 we'll refer him ourselves. And it was done. So not before an amazing press conference where I finally got to ask him some questions and he slipped up really embarrassingly on whether he was British or Australian or British or Australian. Anyway, I think we've got some audio of that presser. Senator, so, why did you lie? Why did you say you were never a British citizen? When your official documents show that you were, when you were 19 years old, you signed that you were British.
2: I was a uh, citizen of the UK and, and colonies. We all know that back that in the. Com- we, I'm, I'm answering your question. I, I, we all we all know that back then uh, that we were very strong members of the Commonwealth. We still are. We sang God Save the Queen till not long before then. I have always okay. thought that I was British, uh, that I was Australian. Always thought that you signed I signed that you were Excuse a British
3: me? citizen. You um, signed a document.
4: We, we are not going into these matters.
3: Wow. Malcolm Roberts, wow.
4: Anyway, let's just move straight on to number four in the fast detailed four.
3: Huge scoop of the week that hasn't got enough attention. Should be your bin juice, but your bin juice is something <laughs> else. So
4: So, number four is about emails. Yeah. So for the very first time,
3: this is so exciting. We
4: have a look at how the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and his office transfer emails between government channels and his private server. So we got our hands through um our, our amazing new senior reporter Paul Farrell. Hi Paul on 8 emails from a three-week period from 2015. One of the emails actually shows a chain. One of the documents is an email chain which shows uh, some people, police, and departments organizing a response to the Parramatta shooting of police worker Curtis Chang, and it was being forwarded to Turnbull in his private server. The email chain includes one email from a redacted address saying that the details of the meeting were in confidence, quote, Another said unofficial. So, other emails show the Wi-Fi password being passed around the office. Another shows Malcolm Turnbull was told to call the UK Prime Minister, David Cameron, by going through the public switchboard, which is a bit weird. I always thought that Malcolm Turnbull would have had just, you know, the private...
3: Doesn't he WhatsApp everywhere? Yeah,
4: doesn't he just, like, Skype? But no, he had to call the public switchboard to get onto David Cameron. There are a few reasons why this is really significant, though. But mainly, it's just a really teeny tiny window into... The way that Turnbull gets forwarded emails to his private account, and this is just a three-week period back in 2015. So what else may have taken place in these last three years remains a mystery still.
3: How long till someone has a press conference or something and yells, but his emails! But (laughs) his
4: emails! Number five on the Fast Five, to cap it all off, warm up those vocal cords, everyone at home, because we're going karaoke singing this week on Tuesday night at the Stonewall nightclub in Sydney, Christine Foster, who is Tony Abbott's little sister and is a Liberal Party councillor in Sydney, she decided to get up on stage, take the microphone, and request the song Killing Me Softly with his song, not by the Fugees, which a great song in its own right, but by Roberta Flack. And not only did she sing it, which was very shady itself, but she even dedicated it to her federal Liberal Party colleagues. Christine Foster, take a bloody bow. That shade. Well, our guest on the podcast this week, Alice, was born in Belgium, then moved to WA in Australia, joined the Liberal Party and became Australia's federal finance minister. I'm, of course, talking about Matthias Cormann. He's currently also the acting special minister of state, so he's the man in charge of the same-sex marriage postal Survey.
3: So here's our chat with Mathias Coleman. And just to flag early, we had some microphone, we had some technical issues, we had some microphone issues. So my questions are a little bit off mic. But uh, honestly, I, I think it's fine. You, you're here for Matias, You're not here for me. Okay, have a listen. Finance Minister Mathias Coleman, thanks so much for joining us here at BuzzFeed News. Good to be here. Uh, now, same-sex marriage, it's been the talk of the town in Canberra this week. Uh, Isn't this just a plebiscite on whether or not the Liberals should be holding a conscious vote on same-sex marriage?
1: Uh, This is uh, about giving the Australian people a say on whether or not the definition of marriage should be changed, whether the law should be changed to allow same-sex couples to marry and that is a firm commitment that we made to the Australian people in the lead up to the last election and it's a promise we intend to keep. Our preference would have been for that to be done through a compulsory personal attendance plebiscite on the 25th of November but the Senate again rejected our proposal to give effect to that so we are now doing the next best thing in order to keep faith with the promise we made to the Australian people and that is to pursue a voluntary postal plebiscite.
3: You've said it's about the Australian people having a say, but The new WA Liberal Senator, who is your former Chief of Staff, Slade Brockman, said that he will ignore any plebiscite result and just vote no. So what's the point of holding it?
1: Well, what the government has said uh, is that, uh, you know, if there is uh, a yes vote at the end of uh, the plebiscite process, uh, the government will facilitate consideration of a private member's bill through the Parliament uh, to change the law to allow same-sex couples to marry, and we're very confident that that would pass the Parliament after a yes vote.
3: So you're happy with your senators voting against what the plebiscite
1: result is? Well, we've been very clear. The government would facilitate consideration of a private members bill through the parliament. We're very confident uh, that such a bill uh, would pass the parliament before the end of the year in the scenario where there's a yes vote. Uh, But, um, you know, we will not be uh, binding our uh, members along those lines.
3: Uh, there's been a high court challenge issued this week against the postal plebiscite. What happens if they rule that it is not legal?
1: Well, we're very confident that uh, we have the constitutional uh, power and the legal authority to conduct the postal plebiscite process uh, through the IBS uh, we are very confident and we're just getting on with the job
3: but if they rule that it's not legal well, can you hold it anyway
1: well it's entirely a matter for the high court now of course i mean this you know the the government is very confident that we have the constitutional power and the legal authority i mean obviously people are entitled to test that uh, somebody has decided to test it and it's now a matter for the high court to determine the outcome i, I might just say uh, that uh, you know you might recall because i remember that you were there we had a, a very long debate on the mm. senate voting reforms uh, and uh, of course a number of people took uh, advantage of the opportunity to challenge uh, what they perceived to be the constitutional invalidity of our senate voting reforms and of course the high court upheld uh, the government's reforms uh, on that occasion and you know we we go into this process Confident of our legal position,
3: but do you have a contingency plan in case uh, they rule no?
1: Uh, this is now a matter for the High Court, and uh, you know, in the mean, obviously we will, uh, you know, participate. We must a, have thought about it. Uh, well, we, we will um, get on with the job, uh, and, unless or until uh, you know, we are told otherwise. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we fully respect, uh, you know, the High Court's processes.
3: To the logistics of uh, how it will work, is the wording of the question the same as was, pro- pro- was proposed last time?
1: Uh, yes, it's precisely the same question. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's essentially going to be a question about uh, the people's views on whether they uh, believe or whether the laws should be changed to allow same-sex uh, couples to marry.
3: And the bill that um, will be voted on if the plebiscite result is a yes, will that be released uh, to the public, so they know what what will go through, what will be legalised after the plebiscite.
1: Well, it's a private members' bill, so it's not a government bill, uh, and so so
3: will it be Dean Smith's bill?
1: Well, it, it, that is a matter for the parliament. I mean, the whole point of a private members' bill is that it is. But
3: shouldn't people see what bill, what what the legal change should be before they vote?
1: Well, the question is precisely the same question uh, as we put forward. In yeah, the, the question's Yeah the same.
3: But what if the what if there's a clause in the bill that uh, is put in uh, as part of a compromise? At the last minute, well, shouldn't I'm, I'm, people know that? Well, I'm,
1: I'm I'm very intrigued about your line of questioning because uh, <laughs> I, I assume that you're asking Bill shorten the same question. about his proposal to hold a plebiscite on the on the on the republic? Well, and he's he, not
3: he's not in government. No, no,
1: no but, well, I mean, our, our position is. Very I will clear. ask him though. Well, if he will yeah, present yeah, the bill but, before but, the but, but plebiscite. But sure. our our position is very clear. We will facilitate consideration of a private members' bill after. Uh, plebiscite. If I, uh, if the yes vote has been carried, we believe the question is self-explanatory. Uh, we believe uh, that people across Australia uh, understand what the question is. And uh, we would encourage everyone to have their say. everyone to participate in the process. If you're in favour of change, vote yes. If you're against change, uh, if you support the current definition of marriage, vote no. Uh, and, you know, we encourage uh, everyone uh, to vote, consistent with their views and for those that are involved in the campaign on both sides of the argument we encourage them to engage in the campaign in a courteous and respectful manner.
3: Is the reason that you're running it through the Bureau of Statistics because it would be unconstitutional for the AEC to do it?
1: Well the government is confident that we have a constitutional and legal way forward in keeping faith with our commitment to the Australian people to give them their say, and we've decided to conduct this process through the Australian Bureau of Statistics. There is Uh, Clearly, the Commonwealth Parliament uh, has the power to make laws consistent with Section 51 of the Constitution in relation to census and statistics. The, The Parliament has made such laws we have the census and statistics act 1905 and the abs act 1975 and under the constitutional provisions and the relevant legislation we are confident that the abs and the australian statistician uh, has the power and the authority to seek the information and to expend uh, the public money required to conduct this
3: process speaking of the abs the most high profile thing they've done in the last year was called hashtag census fail on Twitter. So they had years to prepare for the census. It didn't go very well. They have a few weeks to pre- prepare for this plebiscite. Are you Confident they're not going to stuff it up?
1: We have full confidence in the Australian Bureau of Statistics and they are, of course, that they, they will, of course, be provided with all of the necessary resources. Indeed, as the Finance Minister, I have already signed a determination to make the necessary funds available to the IBS in order to conduct this postal plebiscite process.
3: Um, what about people living overseas? in terms of getting the vote? Will they have to vote in an embassy or will it come in the mail and they'll have to send it back?
1: Every single Australian who is registered on the Commonwealth electoral roll, who's enrolled on the Commonwealth electoral roll, will receive the necessary documentation to have their say, to participate in this process. And every single Australian who's on the electoral roll, who lives overseas, who's registered with an overseas address with the electoral commission on the electoral roll, will receive their documentation at their overseas address.
3: But will, in terms of just the physical capacity of sending and returning things from overseas, it takes a month sometimes for things to arrive from, say, Europe. Is that factored into counting or into, will they get their ballots early?
1: Well, all of these matters will be announced in due course, but let me assure you that every Australian will have ample opportunity, not only to receive their documentation to participate in this process, but also to get to return... Uh, the documentation, the completed documentation uh, in the appropriate
3: timeframes. There's been a lot of kind of jokes about young people. People from your own party, Andrew Lemming, he said that the ballot is likely to under-represent young people because mm-hmm. they may not have fixed addresses or they may not use the mail. Uh, are you going to do some public service announcements? Hey kids, this is what a stamp is? Is that. What well, you're planning to do? Well,
1: well uh, you know every person who is enrolled on the electoral roll, uh, every person of course has to be of a certain age and every person who is enrolled uh, on the electoral roll has to be enrolled at a physical address mm. and um, I'm very confident that the young people of Australia know what a letterbox is <laughs> and I'm very confident that given that they would be receiving all of their documentation from the electoral commission in writing uh, in the mail uh, in their letterbox mm. now uh, that they will be able to find uh, their letters they will be able to open their letters they will be able to read it and they'll be able to uh, fill in the documentation uh, and they will, of course, uh, be able to participate in this process and have their say. We're very confident and we certainly encourage all the young people of Australia to have their say in relation to this uh, postal plebiscite process.
3: What have you had any consideration around um, the potential for people to, say, steal their neighbours' ballot paper and vote on their behalf?
1: Uh, postal uh, plebiscites are uh, postal voting, and postal plebiscites are a well-established uh, tool in any, in many demo- democracies around the not, world. including they being in Australia. Are on registered mail? Well, so because no, if,
3: if they come in your letterbox, it's, couldn't I just, it's,
1: it's, you know, it's, look
3: in your mailbox, well, take your ballot Well, paper? If,
1: if you did that, you would be committing an offence, uh, which would be punishable uh, by a prison term. I mean, so. But I the
3: AEC is not running the plebiscite.
1: Well, uh, this is actually not under AEC legislation. Okay. This is under postal. relevant postal uh, communications related legislation. I mean, what you're suggesting is that people would uh, commit a a criminal offence, that they would uh, essentially expose themselves. Mm. Well, the the best advice that I have is that uh, in all of the postal voting uh, exercises that have taken place in Australia, and remember, in the context of a federal election, a large proportion of the population actually votes by postal vote then, that there is no evidence of any widespread problem along the lines that you're suggesting. And and of course, if uh, people were to do the wrong thing, I mean, there would be uh, penalties mm. uh, that would be the consequence of that.
3: So would the same checking uh, happen uh, in, a, say, a normal federal election where people get marked off on the roll, so if it, they get caught if they vote... To, uh, if they vote twice, so will there be numbers on the ballot well, papers to check?
1: Well, again, I mean, these processes are run by independent statutory agencies and mm. you know, in this case it's uh, you know, the IBS that will run this and uh, the IBS will be responsible for ensuring the integrity of this process and there is, I mean, this is, these are professionals, these are experts that know how to run these processes in a way uh, that um, ensures that the public can have confidence in the integrity of the outcome.
3: Uh, I had someone um, on, we told Twitter that we were doing this interview and I had someone ask me to ask you on their behalf, um, if you're a closeted 18 year old uh, still living at home with homophobic parents, how can you ensure the privacy of your vote without outing yourself?
1: Well, again, I mean, letters are directed to people as individuals, and if you're an 18-year-old who's enrolled on the electoral roll, I mean, that is your property. I mean, a, a piece of mail that is directed to you is directed to you and nobody else. Uh, if you are, uh, uh, you know, 18 and over, nobody else should, of course, Uh, have access uh, to any such correspondence.
3: Um, You said this week that uh, you uh, think that the campaign will be respectful, but in the past 24 hours, someone from your own party, former Liberal MP Bronwyn Bishop, has said on national TV that same-sex marriage could lead to polygamy and bestiality. Do you think that's respectful? Well, uh,
1: I think that these are unfortunate comments, and um, I do believe, I mean, I would say to everyone involved on both sides of this debate, Uh, that uh, it's very important uh, for all of us, it's very important for the Australian community on both sides of uh, the argument that this uh, debate uh, is handled with courtesy and respect. Um, uh, There are uh, strongly and sincerely held views by good people on both sides of the argument. I believe that the Australian people can uh, deal with this uh, issue in a a courteous and respectful way, uh, wherever... Uh, people are making statements that are inappropriate, uh, then that is regrettable. Um, and uh, you know, sadly, that can from, uh, from, from time to time. People on both sides of the argument might um, go beyond what is, what is appropriate. But I think that our democracy can handle that. I mean, the, the, what I would say to all people with an interest in this debate is that uh, we now have a period of three and a half months that will lead to an outcome. And uh, after we have the outcome, uh, the losing side will be in a better position to accept that outcome. And the community as a whole can move forward. There will uh, be, I believe that if we handle this right, this will be a unifying opportunity for the country. Um, Yes, there will be some debates along the way. I can't guarantee that every single person participating in this debate is gonna do it uh, in the appropriate way. Mm. But Uh, these
3: comments have been happening since the idea of a plebiscite Uh, was first raised and the government haven't called them out. Is the well, government going to call people out for well, well, being uh, making you know harmful accusations or saying Well, you've, you've, you've asked me a
1: question just now? I've answered it very plainly. Uh, what I would say. But are you going to call well, the well, comments well, well, out? Well, you've asked a question. May I? May I answer? Of course. It? Um, the truth is, whether it's in this debate or in other debates, it's not because we're proposing a plebiscite that some people are making debate uh, making um, contributions that are uh, you know seen or that are hurtful or that are seen to be hurtful. Uh, This is not causing it. I mean, I think that you'll find that in this debate and in other debates, there have always been people who might go beyond what should be said, who say what shouldn't be said, who go beyond what they should be saying. This process will actually bring this issue to a resolution. This process offers to bring uh, a level of finality to an issue that Australians have been debating for many, many years. Um, And we believe that by giving all Australians on the electoral roll an opportunity to have a side, to make them part of the decision-making process that whatever the decision, whoever is on the losing side uh, will be able to better accept that that is a decision in which they have been able to participate and um, that, is, that is why we're making this uh, opportunity available. Uh,
3: the AMA have said that uh, the same-sex marriage debate could be, uh, become a public health issue and, and has, could be linked to suicides potentially. Will the government take responsibility if any harm is caused? Well, I, I think
1: that's an unfair question, I've got to say. I mean, I'm, I'll answer it, but I think it's an unfair question. The truth is, the debate is happening now. The debate is happening irrespective of whether or not uh, we have a plebiscite. The thing that the plebiscite offers uh, is a, a conclusion. The thing the plebiscite offers is uh, like a way forward that ultimately will settle this issue on a more permanent basis the truth is that this uh, issue and the proposition that the law should be changed to allow same-sex couple uh, couples to marry has come before parliament on several occasions i believe that i've uh, dealt with it on four occasions in the 10 years that i've been in the parliament and on each occasion the parliament has reconfirmed the current definition of marriage which in the losing side of the argument uh, in Parliament and in the community has not accepted. Uh, if the Parliament were to deal with this again, and even if the um, decision was the other way around, which I don't know that it would be incidentally, but even if the decision was the other way around, uh, I'm confident that the losing side of the argument in the community would not accept the outcome. Uh, I, I believe, and the government believes, that by giving every Australian the opportunity to have a say on this, by giving every Australian the opportunity to participate in the decision-making process, that the ultimate decision uh, will uh, generate a broader community consensus around the change, if that is the outcome of the plebiscite. And I believe that um, if we go through this process in the right way, then this can uh, enable the community to move forward on a more permanent basis in relation to an issue that, quite frankly, has been debated for better or for worse, for a very long time.
3: I think everyone agrees on that. Um, Will MPs be allowed to use their operational budgets to send out material for either side of the campaign?
1: Well, the usual uh, rules would apply in relation to communications by members of parliament. So, I mean, obviously, members of parliament can express views in relation to all sorts of matters. And so the usual and normal rules would apply in relation to uh, their use of uh, their... um, Work expense arrangements.
3: Finally, Minister, the name of the podcast is Is It On? So, of course, I have to ask the obligatory question. There's been leadership speculation surrounding the same sex marriage debate. What do you think? Is it on? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm hearing rumours that Anthony Albanese is working very hard at getting the numbers to the top of neutral.
3: So that's it. It's on in the Labor Party, but not in the Liberal Party? Uh,
1: we are a very strong and united
3: team. That's good to hear. Matthias Coleman, thank you so much for joining us on BuzzFeed News. Is it on? I like the
2: warmer. I like the warmer. <laughs> I like
3: the warmer. <laughs> Mark, yes. fun fact. yes. Uh, Matthias Cormann's first job when he moved to Australia was working as a casual gardener at a girls' high school.
2: Get out.
4: How old was he?
3: Uh, he was... Uh, he'd finished uni because his law degree wasn't recognised in Australia, so he couldn't get a job as a lawyer. Uh, so he, that was the only casual job he could find. And then after that, he started working as a staffer and joined the Liberal Party, et cetera, et cetera.
4: That is a fun fact about our finance minister that I did not know. Uh, I tell you what, season two of Is It On? People's favourite segment. It's back. I'm not talking about Gallery Whispers. I'm talking about Bin Juice, the a segment where we talk about something that has been neglected. But this week we decided, because there was so much going on and people actually did want to talk to us, um, we thought, why don't we actually bring some people in on the Binge Juice and talk to people about little things that may have been missed or um, would be interesting to our listeners. So this week's Bin Juice, Lane Sainty, who did you speak to?
5: I spoke to the federal MP for the electorate of Bowman, Andrew Lammy. And the reason I wanted to interview him is because, as you both know, I'm physically incapable of thinking about anything except the postal <laughs> survey. And I knew from some past stories that he actually runs regular postal surveys on same-sex mar- marriage in his electorate. So thought it would be interesting to, to have a chat and find out how that goes. <laughs> Andrew Lamming, thank you so much for joining us on Is It On?
2: Great to have BuzzFeed right here in uh, R152 Parliament House, Canberra. <laughs> um, so...
5: To start off with, uh, all the talk this week has been about um this postal vote on same-sex marriage. from what i from what I've been told, you run similar votes in your electorate. Could you tell us about how they work and, and the results that you've seen?
2: There's lots of MPs around the country, Lane, that run surveys to their communities, and most federal electorates have around 55,000 households. So mailing up to those through Australia Post is quite doable. Uh, Asking people to complete them and send them back is a different matter. So MPs know that only 5 to 10% of people will actually ever respond, and typically they're the people with strongly held views. So the game in town for politicians is getting everyone else to have a say, and that's the concern about a plebiscite like an election day, will they show up on voting day? And if it turns out to be a postal plebiscite, will they remember to fill the form out and put it back in the post box?
5: Okay. Um, I suppose just going back, back to your own electorate, I'm, I'm really interested if you could just talk me through some of the logistics of, of the votes that you run in, in Bowman.
2: So for the last eight years, I've run almost annual surveys. People get a bit sick of them being too often. and mm-hmm. uh, That involves contracting Australia Post to drop a envelope that is not marked with my name and not branded so it'd be branded with city designs and encouraging people to have their say that will be dropped by australia post by law into every letterbox and they drop it even if there's a no junk mail sign there because it's australia post mail they will then uh Tell me that it's all been completed, and they'll confirm that. I'll run a big social media campaign encouraging people to look out for it in their letterbox. Uh, in many cases, I'll have people saying I didn't receive it or didn't see it, and I have to take them on face value. So for anyone who didn't get it in the postbox, maybe they did and they tell me they didn't, I give them another ballot form in my office, and that constitutes a, a, a provisional vote and that is held separately, counted separately and reported separate to the main count. Everyone else of course has a reply paid element on the form, they simply put a bit of sticky tape on it once they've answered as many questions as they feel like. There's a simple yes, no to do you support same-sex marriage and from there we start the count, we invite both sides of the debate in. So any constituent can witness the count, Uh, they are scrutineering, they don't look at personal details because they're on the other side of the ballot and they help me with the count and it's always extremely tight. Having done it for a decade, of course, I'm starting to accumulate more and more people who vote twice and three times, but also people who vote for the first time. So as of today, I've got a quarter of my city having told me their views on this particular issue of marriage equality.
5: So the, the last um, postal ballot that you ran, you, you had a response rate of 25%?
2: No. Over the t- uh, 10 years, I've eventually got a quarter of the community to participate, but right. at any okay. one particular ballot, I'll only get between 5 and 10% of people responding. And increasingly, people that have responded three or four times don't respond a fifth time. But people who move for the first time into my area might participate then. So I can actually break the vote down by when they voted and how, but I do have the most recent view from a quarter of my community, which... For an MP uh, has not been replicated in the country.
5: And what is that view?
2: Well, the view is that uh, in my area, which is an outer metropolitan Brisbane seat, half an hour from the CBD, uh, not an ethnically diverse community, uh, I'm getting a, a result of around 48 at most 49% in support of same-sex marriage, but it has fallen to 44% at times. We can't explain that. Although this fall occurred when there was a harder push uh, by the no campaign amongst conservative uh, groups and churches to get their people to participate. And the more we promoted it, the more the same-sex marriage yes vote fell.
5: Okay. And um, you mentioned before that Some people have complained about not receiving ballots. Have there been any other complaints, Uh, for instance, ballots being sent back but getting lost in the mail, things like that?
2: I don't recall any lost in the mail because often they wouldn't know if they were lost in the mail is an issue. Right. Keep in mind that three quarters of people put their name on the form and then I would mark them on the electoral roll that I have and I'd also write back to them because they leave a return address. Another quarter of voters don't tell me who they are. I still count their vote because there can only be one dropped in each letterbox. Unless people are stealing them from other people's letterboxes, I'm confident that it's coming from a dwelling. The criticism most commonly leveled at me is it's a household vote of one per household, not one per voter. And the answer to that is that this would quadruple the cost to do uh, that. It's very hard to stop abuse, including multiple forms being filled out by one person. So what I'll increasingly do is allow the entire family to register their view on a single ballot form. It's the best I can do for less than about $10,000, and I don't have the resources of the AEC at my disposal.
5: Okay. And um, you, you mentioned that the support in your electorate has um, you know, stayed below 50% on, on same-sex marriage. Um, I know that some polls run in your electorate have indicated a much higher level of support. Why, why do you think there's a disparity there?
2: So, of course, phone polls and internet polls will uh, give completely different results. Uh, none are correct. But they just are defended by their own methodology. So, a methodology that uses a phone poll uh, doesn't call people who are necessarily on the do not call register. Uh, those who use an internet poll can't always guarantee that it's the person who says they're responding actually responding. There's nothing stopping someone taking the link to the poll and sending it to another location, and you end up with responses from overseas in your internet poll. My limitation, of course, uh, doing this kind of postal uh, vote is we know that. Younger people are less likely to fill out a long, complicated form. Uh, we know that homeless people who aren't there to check the letterbox are less likely to fill out the form. We know that um, people who regularly check the mailbox are less likely to show it to other people who live in the household. So all of these limitations exist, and I acknowledge and admit all of those limitations. Some of them will still exist with a plebiscite that's done postally by the government, but they will be sending direct mail to each individual, not each household. Um, That's one of the issues. So if you don't receive that ballot, it's going to be incumbent upon you in the post to notify the government. And I presume they'll have to make other arrangements if someone doesn't receive that form.
5: Okay. And you've been very clear in your comments in the past week that um, you think the the postal vote that the government's putting forward will actually favour the no vote. Um, if the government is aware that, that it is going to likely produce a biased result, why why, do, why is it putting forward this proposal at all?
2: So, this goes back to your previous question about internet versus phone versus mail uh, voting. None, none of those methods are, are flawed or biased, they're just different methodologies. Uh, there's nothing illegitimate about a postal vote plebiscite. We did one 20 years ago for the Constitutional Convention, 40 years ago for the National Anthem everyone just got in and participated Uh, but the the participation rate was around 50%. Uh, That doesn't make the Irish vote that was 55% biased or illegitimate. It's just the methodology. So we know that if it's a postal vote, participation is lower. There'll be a public awareness campaign to raise that. And I think everyone knows that those who don't participate are more likely to be young, disenfranchised voters. But that exists at a federal election anyway. They're the same group that we can't get to show up to an electoral, to a polling place. So the same challenges are amplified with a postal plebiscite.
5: Okay, you you have said that you think the the no campaign will be will be favoured in in this plebiscite. So uh, you know I would contend that that actually is a biased result if one side is going to be overrepresented.
2: And that's a fair observation. But so is a federal election where young and disenfranchised voters are less likely to turn up. So democracy isn't perfect, but it's the best thing that we've got, and we yet to find a, a better option. Uh, so in that case, what I'm saying is there are simply increased challenges, which will, as I've said. I believe, slightly advantage the yes, uh, sorry, the no case and make it harder to get yes voters who easily internet poll and phone poll to fill out a form and send it back. So the challenges are higher. My view would have been to get it through the Senate yesterday and we wouldn't have been having this discussion. So now I believe that the yes case has chopped off one head of the hydra only to have an even more difficult one emerge.
5: Okay, and... Um you're a supporter of traditional marriage. Will you be um, using your comms budget to produce any material for the No campaign during the postal vote?
2: So I'm not a supporter of traditional marriage. Uh, it won't surprise oh. you. So I, I was uh, married married on a, um, a heap of rocks off, off, off a beach uh, under a tree and then organised a celebrant a month later to go through the ceremony. I'm about as minimalist as you can get. Uh, I'm not religious, uh, but I have when I decided to allow my electorate to guide my vote. So whatever the plebiscite is, whatever a vote is done uh, in my electorate, I will always follow that vote until it's replaced by a better or more recent one. So I won't divulge how I vote in a plebiscite if it happens because I committed to being an absolutely independent MP for my electorate. If I do tell them my personal views, then all of a sudden I'm contaminating my ability to get a fair result from my community. So from six years ago, that's the deal. My community determines my vote. I don't talk about how I feel about this issue. Although six years ago, I was quoted as supporting civil unions for all um, all couples uh, and not having marriage involved in government legislation. So, But that trench has been overrun. It's no longer uh, a preferred model. So I'm completely uh, agnostic about the outcome. And when people vote, I will be following precisely the result of the plebiscite as a Liberal. If the vote is no plus one. There will be no further vote in Parliament this term. If the vote is 50% plus one, yes, I will vote. No, if my electorate tells me to. Yes, if my electorate tells me to. And I'm the only MP who's doing that.
5: Okay. So you you don't have a view on on whether or not whether or not you support same-sex marriage, or you do have a view and you choose not to divulge it because you think that that um, is not representing your community properly.
2: Probably a combination of both. So six years ago, my preference was uh, civil unions. Yep. Uh, that trench has now been vacated by both sides of the debate Mm -hmm. Uh, and so now I must admit I can see views on both sides and I've found it far easier to say to my community I will vote the way you tell me to um I know it's a little unorthodox but it's also a very um uh, clear one to the people of my electorate
5: okay great thank you so much
2: you're welcome thanks a lot thanks BuzzFeed
4: well, my binges this week uh, was inspired um, off a conversation I had when Phil Curry, the Australian Financial Review's chief political correspondent, burst through our door, muttering something, and it was a really interesting point. And I decided to put a microphone in his hand and have a bit of a talk about it. I'm here with Phil Curry from the Australian Financial Review, and a couple of days ago he walked into the office because you wanted to say something, and it was about um, some historical lessons to do with the plebiscite. Um, Phil, thanks so much for joining the podcast. No worries, mate. Um, What did you say? What what, what do you think we should
0: learn from, say, the 1999 Republic referendum? Well, 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 as an old fart, um, (laughs) I, I was a young fart back in 1999, and I covered the Republic referendum. And there, I can see a lot of similarities between then and now. There, you've got this concept which is popular out there, and you know more popular than not out there, and everyone thinks it should just be done. But they got pantsed badly back in '99 uh, for a number of reasons, and I can see the similarities now. They were the people who wanted to become a republic fought amongst themselves because they couldn't agree then on the model we should adopt and um, and so forth. And so they spent a lot more time attacking each other and delegitimising the model than actually advocating for a yes vote. And it wasn't much of a surprise that they lost. And I can see the parallels now because, you, again, you've got this process which is far from perfect you know especially if you advocate same sex marriage you know this postal ballot we all, most people just think the parliament should do this right everyone thinks that's the obvious way but the reality the reality is that's not going to happen unless labor gets into government so so you can deal with what you've got or you can hang out for something better down the track and the problem is i see the more people fight amongst themselves over this postal ballot whether it's the right way to go or not and challenge it in the high court the, the more they're going to delegitimize it, uh, encourage a boycott of a vote, and then you will wind up with a no vote in, in November, and then you've, you know, you've set your cause back probably another year at least until Labor wins an election.
4: Yeah, so in this historical an- mm. analogy, you've got the, the yes for the Republic, which was led by Malcolm Turnbull mm-hmm. back then, mm-hmm. um, is the yes for gay marriage now. Um, you, you're basically saying that uh, there there was so divided back in mm. you know the the late '90s that there was all of this infighting amongst the Australian Republican Movement. Mm. Um, and there was on the other side, in many ways, they were quite
0: unified. That's right. And, and, and by and John Howard and Tony Abbott were yeah. actually leading that no campaign. And guess who's going to be leading it this time? <laughs> I mean, you've got to remember, Tony Abbott has never advocated a yes case in his in his life. He built he built his political career on saying no to things, right? Ripping stuff down—it's what he does best. Mm. And and he's already out of the blocks. And don't think that's a lone act. What he did yesterday, mm. there's yeah, you know, he's in working with the churches and the Christian lobby and those sorts of people. They're very well organized. They have a simple message it's say don't do it he's got a well honed message that's playing into the culture wars this is trying to tell you how to think this is about your religious freedom and of course it's not about any of that but that is the message he will you know and he is propagating and others will propagate and even if the yes people you know after a month or so they realise oh we better get behind this you know Abbott's going to be a hundred yards ahead of you so and that case so that's the risk you take you Mm. you, and so you know We've seen it before, yeah, know, and and, um, and my money at this stage is on a no vote winning, um, just based on, you know, to, unless the squabbling stops, and, and, which is silly because you've got every elected political leader in the country behind this, state and federal, mm. except for Barnaby Joyce, but mm. every other political leader, you've got every major sporting code behind this. You know the media is probably you know largely in favour of it and stuff, but you can still lose this. If, yeah,
4: you know. that's one thing you did mention when uh, in our first conversation. You said that what concerned you the most was actually the way the media was running mm. stories about mm. this postal vote because that's kind of the way the media operated back in the nineties. Yeah. Is that they sort of went blind with. Yeah, you know, they couldn't remain impartial, and all mm. of the reporting became coloured with opinion and all that sort of stuff. And you see the same thing happening now.
0: Well, that became a negative too. I mean, yeah, there's a difference between mark between commentary and reporting, of course. Right? And, and that line has become a lot more blurred in the years. You know, yep. people really find it difficult. But the the point is, unless the reporting is objective, and you know, you've got to call out the bullshit when when yep. you see it. If someone says this is about you know gay people's children and stuff, you've got to call that out and all that sort of thing but by and large you've got to keep the reporting objective if the reporting is seen to be biased I guarantee within a week or two the Christian lobby and the others will be saying the media elites because mm. yeah, this is what happened to, and I'm, I was guilty of it in the Republic campaign I think because you were you were kind of oh, yeah. a booster for the Republic well, says, not a gonna... booster but you yeah. know you, 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 you were sort of you know you got caught up in the whole thing I was only a young reporter back then and the media elites became used by the no campaign back in 99 so you've you just play it by the book, report it straight, you know, and, and just give people information and let them make up their mind. And uh, and yeah, otherwise, you can actually, you know, become a negative force if you go out there as a cheer squad. Media's media's role is to be objective, not to and informative, not to be uh, you know, cheering either the yes or the no case. Phil Corey,
4: thanks so much for joining the podcast.
0: You're welcome.
3: Well, Mark, it's been a huge podcast. I think we're done. <laughs> thank you Thank you Thank you for this week Lane Sainty Thank you I want to say a big thank you To Nicola Harvey Richard James Peter Holmes And the whole pod team I also want to say A huge thank you To Rode Microphones For supporting the podcast How about that And giving us New mics New microphones Go to buzzfeed.com Is it on Or subscribe on iTunes Or your favourite podcasting app Leave us a rating And a review uh, Throw some praise Towards Lane Sainty For doing such a great job This week When is the next episode Coming out It is coming out Next week Uh Forward sizzle, we might have a Tasmanian on. Just yeah. to mix things up.
4: GTFO. Yeah. Why Tasmanian?
3: A Tasmanian politician.
4: What's so significant about having a Tasmanian politician on?
3: Well, I don't want to say who it is. She's just some I'm just giving some forward sizzle. Who's, co- who's coming on? Erica Betts.
4: Oh, I didn't even... Oh, the sizzle went over my head. <laughs> I just genuinely interested. That was good sizzle. I was like, who? <laughs>
3: Uh, hit us up on the Twitters. I'm at Workman Alice. He's at Mark DeSteff, She's at Lane Sainty. Finally, Mark, I have to ask, it's been a long week. Yeah. A lot of leadership speculation. What do you reckon? Is it on?
4: It's not on because Malcolm Turnbull did the thing he needed to do this week to save his job, which is kick the marriage equality issue into the grass a little bit further. So I think that we can safely say it's not on this week.
3: No, it's not on, but maybe the history books will... Reflect on Malcolm's decision and make some commentary <laughs> a bit later. Interesting final fun fact I'm going to leave you with. This week, Malcolm Turnbull became Australia's 20th longest-serving Prime Minister, overtaking Harold Holt, rest in peace, who is who is who 19th on the list, Tony Abbott. Yeah. Now, if Malcolm Turnbull makes it to September, that is when he catches up to Tony Abbott and will overtake him in the number of days he's been Prime Minister but he has to make it to September. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye,
4: bye, bye, bye.